That's why we have these lessons. And is it almost like welding itself to yeah, the material? Welding, yep. And I'll give you a real quick advice. Just put it in the uh, Drano overnight and it'll take all the aluminum off. Oh, there, there you go. go. See, there you go. <laughs> Jason, sometimes I feel like I have zero trust in you. Well, Nick, in a relationship, sometimes that's a good place to start. But all joking aside, what we're talking about today is zero trust security, which let me define that for you. Zero trust security means that no one is trusted by default from inside or outside the network and verification is required from everyone trying to gain access to resources on the network, which is becoming very important in the manufacturing environment. Yeah, these OT assets are usually very susceptible to attack. So Nick, what is OT? OT is operational technology. So you'll find PLCs in every shop. You'll find HMIs on the touchscreens, on your controls, on your machines. These are what's susceptible. Okay, well, you know, OT assets are very susceptible to attack. I've heard of shops going down, a lot of damage being made to shops out there. Uh, There's often no security built into those assets, poor visibility and unencrypted traffic. Yeah, Palo Alto Network's industrial OT security is the solution that security teams need to provide effective visibility into these OT assets. That's right. Palo Alto Network's industrial OT security provides the most comprehensive zero-trust security across all OT environments. It's developed specifically for industrial and manufacturing operations, and it features comprehensive visibility, zero-trust security, and simplified operations. That's right. Protect your OT assets, networks, and remote operations with zero-trust OT security. Where can they learn more? To learn more, find the link in the description or visit paloaltonetworks.com. That's paloaltonetworks.com. Welcome to Making Chips. As manufacturing leaders, we go through seasons, seasons of struggle and seasons of celebration. But if you are connected to a community of leaders, you will be equipped to make the most of the peaks and you'll be inspired to move quickly through the valleys. What you will hear is not just our opinion. It is the battle-tested testimonial and advice of a manufacturing leader just like you. So listen up and take notes. Welcome to Making Chips, Seasons. Okay, here we are in St. Louis with Drew, the MFG, and we're talking about manufacturing fuels grit. Now, let's go back to the high efficiency machining and get your explanation for that. But no, that's exactly what this new wave in my mind has to be. I get calls from tech centers and workforce training centers and colleges that are like, we don't have it in the budget to do A, B, or C or to teach A, B, or C, right? Or people that are in shops that are looking for kids that have more knowledge than what the community colleges or the technical colleges or whatever it may be workforce training centers can teach. And it didn't cost me anything to have him to come in. You know, it didn't cost me anything to go to his shop with my kids. It doesn't cost you, you know, people anything to have you and your team talk to these people. And it's like, we can get better for free when we collaborate, right? Mm -hmm. Because the better machinist, the more knowledgeable person I can put at your machine. Now, his conversations with the engineer when that bottleneck is happening is more informed and he's more enabled to give this engineer something they can go on and then understand what they're saying. So then 
these conversations can be more productive. But it's that right? servant leadership because he could have been like, we always do this. Like, what's your time worth? Right. So it cost him some time to yeah. come and talk yes. to you. But it comes full circle. Right. Yes. So he invested in you. He showed some servant leadership to you and your students helping with the school. And then they build relationships. And now right? full circle. Like yes. now he's out here. He's able to talk about his business. He's able to introduce himself to an audience. Just some like of we my do. students that have opened their own businesses like Kyle. Who we just talked tools to. From. Yeah. Right. So. When you start these conversations in a meaningful way and you see where maybe you're, I wouldn't say inefficiencies, but areas of opportunity. Like I used to be set it up. My setup part would get bought off. You know what I'm saying? And I really pride myself on writing good programs. Your setup part would get bought off. When I was a machinist, right? So typically you get a new part, you get a print, you might have a tool list with it. You might have a program already with it, right? And you're going to find the work holding or make it, put it in this machine and proof out that first new part and make sure that this program makes that part to print Mm-hmm. So then it can go into production, whatever that may be. Gotcha. A thousand. And that's what you 10, mean by bought off. Right, right. Like approved for going to It's pre- ready to go. Okay, right. Gotcha. And typically with machine shops, you get extra material because they think that your first setup part, maybe two setup parts are going to be scrapped. And then number three, you'll have dialed it in, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Not your boy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and we get extra material, we sell in extra parts. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so that was my thing. And I really prided myself on not only writing good, efficient programs, but picking the right tooling for repeatability or whatever this job entails. And I thought that I knew a lot. So it was a lot that I could give to these students. But once I had this opportunity and this relationship, it's like, yo, I can give y'all even more. Mm-hmm. And I asked them to come in and, you know, let's talk to the kids. Let's talk about chip removal rate. Let's talk about... We did a tool holder seminar one time. Tool holders, right. Tool holders. So he took what it to the next level. Yeah. Like, yeah, yo, great. they yeah. need to know those things. Yeah. This is why you choose these different holders. Sure. This is yeah. what this holder, this is what that There holder. is a difference. Yes. He <laughs> put a packet together for me to give to the students. Man, that's so, so cool. So they could... Yeah, something that I couldn't do, right? And One of the things that I kind of honed in on, Drew, as you were talking, and I don't know if this was you when you were on the shop floor, but you had mentioned like specking out the tooling, right? And one of the... <laughs> we say one of our clients a lot of money. They were a big shop or they are a big shop and they had a guy, he kind of could be like a tooling nerd. And I swear he worked for the manufacturer. I swear he spent eight hours a day specking out tools. You know what I mean? And he took a long time because he wasn't the tooling expert. And I went to the owner of the company. I was like, why so-and-so spending all day long specking out the tooling? He brings it to us. He usually isn't correct on (laughs) what is best. Right. I was like, Get him doing something else to make you money. Give us the prints and we'll spec out the tooling for you. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden we've saved a payroll. You know, with younger people, you get that shiny object syndrome. Yeah, he just liked doing it. Yeah. You know, and that's it just comes down to like how they think they're winning or performing. So and guess what? Now he's working for a manufacturer doing that same thing. (laughs) So no, I mean maybe that's what he loves. As in he's working for a tooling manufacturer. And OEM and OEM instead of you know doing that same thing. But maybe he was like, all right, here's the value that my employer thinks I have and I spec out tooling. We have the same people like, I design all the fixtures for this company. Well, you know what? That could be worth it. It really could be. Yeah, Depending I mean, on the company. It definitely like, saves time. Like a fixture say, designer for a company that's doing a lot of different work and it could be a full-time job. But yeah. sometimes But what not. if you could just outsource it for free? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's also where that knowledge comes in too because if you don't have a basis of actual knowledge of cutting tools, then like kids that I saw or kids that I would hire they just want to cut with whatever they see on the internet. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Or like when we were making that big shift into 
coatings, I feel like it was piece by piece, but then it was like a wave of everybody was using something coated, something carbide, right? Mm -hmm. And kids would just see like, oh, lots of flutes, shiny, let's put it in the machine. Let's figure out a way to use this. And it's like, okay, you don't have to pick the coolest, right? Well, remember the one story? I came in there one day and I walked in the shop and we were supposed to run apart and one of the instructors, I guess I should yeah. put this in there, was doing a part. And I said, what the heck? They were running a four fluid variable helix that was ALTI encoded. And it was an aluminum part because he said, well, we broke one of the tools. And I found that they ran an aluminum part. And I'm going, what is going on here? You know? mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And that just requires a little bit of education on coatings right. and yeah. what right. we use for that. Yeah. But yeah, that's very basic. And like right, they right. should know better, but if they're not taught that. And imagine learning that lesson in a shop. Do you know what happens when you run aluminum on aluminum? Go ahead. Well, it adheres. And it cakes. It yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah, aluminum yeah. sticking to yeah, aluminum yeah, is yeah. what it's doing. Your yeah. cutter ends up becoming just a metal pole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it just yeah. gets all gummed up. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like, that's why we have these lessons. And Is it almost like welding itself to yeah, the material? Yeah, yep. And I'll give you a real quick advice. Just put it in uh, Drano overnight and it'll take all the aluminum off. Oh, there, there you go. go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so I think that's a perfect segue to like this grit theme here. And I love when we get to talk technical on making chips, you know, yeah. but there's so many things that are outside of like those secrets, like the Drano thing or just like how to spec out the right tool, the right work holding or whatever it is by the right machine. This is kind of what we were talking to or we were talking about earlier. And even last night, some stuff you can't be taught. You just have to go through experiences. And you were talking about a business deal that went south and you were just like kind of ranting about it. And rightfully so, like you got kind of screwed in a deal here. And I'm like, that's value to you. Mm-hmm. You might not realize it during the time. Like I've had situations like that, but sometimes would you say your face has to hit the concrete? Your face got to touch the concrete, man. Yeah. You got to feel that concrete, but that's what we're going to. How do you get back up in our business? And, and the veterans have like had that happen. Yes. Every recession or yes. bad deals and or you whatever. you need to grit yourself through that. And that's one of the things that I hope and pray for this young generation is that in this era of attention span disorders. Can they grit themselves through this or are they going to become too frustrated too quickly and be like, I'm not doing this manufacturing thing because you told that story. I don't know if it was on mic or not, or if it was last night over dinner about that gentleman where you were like, he is a superstar in manufacturing, but he left because he got discouraged by his employer who just didn't give him the opportunity that he should. Yeah, they just had him doing one job on one machine. Yeah, and and it's so sad. It's like, well, okay, grit yourself through it because maybe you'll learn something through that, even though it's not kind of helping you to reach your potential now, you got to put the time And that's where the relationships with veterans who have been through 2008, Mm -hmm. like I think we were talking with Andy earlier and he's like, do you remember what happened in 2009? And I was like, well, I know how stressed my dad was. Yeah. (laughs) But nobody bought any machine tools, which means nobody bought any chip conveyors, nobody bought any way covers, nobody bought any pictures. And so part of how you grit yourself through this is you talk to somebody and you have relationships like what you drew and Andy's, I guess, just another version of Drew. Drew and Andrew. A big Drew. And how tight you guys are, because like some of this can be technical mentoring and other things can just be like, hey, here's how to recognize like bad character. Here's how to recognize a bad deal. I would avoid doing this. Hey, Metalworking Nation, Jason Zenger here. I want to tell you about Palo Alto Networks. They offer zero trust for OT without the PTSD Keeping operational technology secure and running smoothly is a tall order. It's enough to make the coolest operations director wake up with night sweat, and we don't want that. 
Zero Trust OT Security delivers comprehensive visibility and security for all OT assets, networks, and remote operations. The Palo Alto Network Solution provides exceptional OT protection with over 1,100 app IDs for OT protocols, over 500 profiles for critical OT assets, and over 650 OT-specific threat signatures supported. It provides best-in-class security while simplifying OT security management. It sees and protects everything in the network, and it automates threat detection while implementing zero trust across all operations. We know right now that security at manufacturing companies is critical, and you need to take action on this. So sleep better with the most comprehensive platform to detect, manage, and secure OT assets. Learn how the Palo Alto Network's Zero Trust for OT Security Solution can achieve 351% ROI over five years. To learn more, find the link in the description or visit paloaltonetworks.com. That's paloaltonetworks.com. So in my shop, real quick, a lot of my grinders are actually... We used to grind a lot of manual. We're 90-something percent CNC now, and we still have a manual guy. And I will tell you, my manual guy is probably the best there is. He's great. Mm -hmm. But long story short, I had a couple of my older guys retire that were really running the shop. I've got now a lot of younger guys in the shop. And the big thing with them is there is kids out there that want to learn because our guys are wanting to know why we do change different hooks in a cutting tool. Why are we doing edge preps? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? A lot of it is, is like I said, we can teach the guys in there that, you know, hey, you're cutting harder steel, tool steel, 60 Rockwell. I know the coating's not just because you coat it. It's not the answer. You know, you got to change the hook. If the hook is changed, you don't have any hook in the tool and maybe a little more high helix, you can actually pull it off the part and you can maintain that integrity on the edge strength there and make sure everything lasts and works. And we do tools down a micro, down 10,000 diameter. We make micro tools. I showed the guys that there and we'll make inch and a quarter solid carbide and those and bigger tools than that. But a lot of it is just getting out and knowing what works for what, why do you have a cylindrical margin? What is an eccentric land? There's a lot of things. I was talking to Drew earlier about trying to get kids in our field. Our field is even tougher than the machining field because tool grinding is a total different thing. It's like a black art. There's a lot of not everybody guys. I know, <laughs> and you might be great on this stuff, but a lot of them don't know all the nuances for different, why there's different edge preps and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And actually, I would encourage the Metalworking Nation to go back to, we did an episode on March 30th, 2018, if you can mm. believe that, uh, where we interviewed Mike Polizzi from Heartland Cutting Tools, and he's also a grinder. So I would encourage the Metalworking Nation to go back, listen to the episode if you want a little bit more information on this world of tool grinding. So Yeah, I know Mark. Mike's yeah. a good guy. Like I said, mm -hmm. he's got a nice shop up there. So Yeah, absolutely. So in the theme of grit and all of the things that you've seen and you've weathered in the different seasons that American manufacturing has gone through, whether that be prosperous or a little less prosperous, what do you see on our horizon? Where do you see we're going? What do you see American manufacturing doing? And what does that mean for the red, white, and blue and the made in America and for American shops and for the indie guy. The troublesome thing I see in American manufacturing is the 
condensing of a lot of knowledge and a lot of people and a lot of these private equity firms buying everybody out. And what is the future? Where are our manufacturing? We had private equity firm GWS buy out a whole bunch of American manufacturers a while back, cutting tool manufacturers, North American Tool, CJT, a bunch of other things in there. And now they're all owned by the Walter Group. So these dollars are now going overseas. Where are we in there? We have some great people. The Patrick Currys from Fullerton, the Guard. I mean, there's a lot of good American companies, so don't get me wrong, but where are we going in there? Why are we not where some of the companies are? And a lot of people say, well, they can build it less money. Brand Y making this in Korea. They're making the end mills for real inexpensive. But yet you still see the Gurings of the world doing well and and the Heimers of the world. I mean, Heimers, you know, not the least expensive tool no, holder by any no, means, no. but it's the quality. They got a 32-hour work, talking about this earlier. They got a 32-hour work week. They get six weeks of vacation. They get good wages. It's not an issue of U.S. can't compete because we got to pay our people less. Well, I think a lot of it comes down to innovation. And it's like you always have to be staying innovative. It's like, as a cutting tool manufacturer, how often are you turning over new products. I don't remember what the percentage was, but I remember Iskar explained to us once that they have some high percentage of sales of new products. And that's like kind of the KPI that they go after because that's how you stay innovative. And that's how American manufacturers need to stay innovative. And that goes down to not just cutting tools, but a manufacturers. Like how often are you changing your processes? Are you bringing automation in? Are you bringing a new process of work holding? Are you upgrading your cutting tools? As long as you keep doing those things and keep staying efficient, you know, the independents or the indies as Drew would call them are going to be there. And again, I'm optimistic that even though there's consolidations, there's also a lot of manufacturing entrepreneurs out there that are getting started. I agree with you 100%. I mean, we, I was telling Drew, we launched some new products and we just did a new aluminum tool. And it's taken us about a year really to finally get it out there and ready to go. And a lot of people say, well, they, I still like your old tool. I like this tool. Well, this tool is better. Why is it better? Well, you know, we got polished flips. We do this, we do this. But if you're not constantly working on newer products, like you were saying earlier, Iskar is a great example. I mean, they're probably the most progressive company out there. If you look at most of the cutting tools of the world, they come out with the on-edge milling inserts and all that stuff was all Iskar stuff in there. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that they do and then a lot of people follow afterwards. Where is that in the United States? So that's my question. I have the same concern. I think we've proven that it's possible to be competitive and not just because like we've got the most advanced, expensive, high-end new product development. Haas sells more units than I think any machine tool builder, except for maybe some Chinese machine tool builders that sell mostly to China. And they're exporting a ton of that those machines to Europe as well. And they're doing it on a cost leadership standpoint, right. not on like, hey, we, we've got the most innovative machine tool, but they're able to compete as a cost leader, right. the most affordable. Machine but I tool. have one question for Gene Haas. If he was here, I would yeah. ask him the question. And I think we talked about this earlier. I know a ton of shops that started off with the Haas. Haas mm-hmm. is the starter, but I know a lot of people, I know aerospace shop in town here that at one time between Haas's and Fidel's had about 25, 30 of them. They haven't bought one of those brands in multiple years. Yeah, I always think about it as you graduate, graduate from Haas's yeah. <laughs> and move to something Haas better. Is, yeah, is yeah, your yeah, first yeah. girlfriend? Something better, but why can't Haas make a Makino-like machine? Because it's not their business model. Like Nick said, they're the low-cost guy. They know where they stand and where they can compete. I'd rather see 
some other North American machine to right, build. Exactly. I mean, we're a stone's throw away from Ingersoll milling machine. They're still making some of the most incredible equipment in the world, you right. know? And, but when you sell products that are components or peripheral to machine tools and you're in North America, there's your total addressable market. The best way for me to grow my business is for me to somehow create a bunch of people building machine right. tools in North America. Yeah. Because <laughs> that would I be mean, great. I mean, Ingersoll was, weren't they the ones that really started the linear yeah. machines? So our stuff? company started in 1966 as well. My grandfather, a German immigrant, started working for them. That place was flooded with people. Now they're more of like, and they're doing amazing things, but they're more of like a tech company. Not like digital software tech, but like new, they're not making high volume machine tools anymore. Right. They're making crazy stuff. One of one. I remember stuff. going to South Bend and seeing, my son had a hockey tournament multiple years ago and I went to South Bend and I couldn't believe how big that old South Bend manufacturing facility and everything was out there. And where has that gone? You know, I mean, we used to make more machine tools than anybody here in the United States. I know. And, and that is the With sad Cincinnati part. and all that, where is that stuff? We gone? want North American OEMs. There's good examples. You gave the Fullerton. How about Fifth Axis? Fifth Axis, I mean, they're right. doing a great job in California. I mean, here's a call to action. In to California, the, of all right. places. Yeah, that's right. the lowest cost yeah. place to do I it. mean, here's a call to action to the metalworking nation is bring us someone that can talk about where that innovation is coming to North America and yeah. the yeah. tool industry. Exactly. But I think we should wrap this up. Mm -hmm. Andy, it's been a pleasure I having you on. It. Thank you very much. I don't know oh. if you have a closing comment or question for I Andy do. that you'd like to bring to the table. Um, No, that's just my gratitude. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you for chopping it up with us for Metalworking Nation. If you got anything out of this, have grit, innovate, and educate at the same time. Use that as a two-handed method so that we can continue to innovate and know why we're innovating and educate others and push that thing forward. America, we're coming back. We need you all to be a part of this. Red, white, blue, silver, red, whatever yeah. chips, you know what I'm saying? We about to get back to making them. I think before you sign us off, I would just ask if you like this episode, if you know somebody who's got a passion for being a North American OEM, I mean, share that with them. Shout please them out. please yeah. share this episode or anything that Andy, share Jason, with your Drew local shared. cutting tool yeah. salesman. Exactly. <laughs> or, sure. or someone who's dealing with your local cutting tool salesman. Like, find some guys like this. Yeah. So tag them in the comments. Yeah. Refer, give us ratings on whatever we're supposed to say podcast, <laughs> catchers, <laughs> podcast. We're just a bunch of manufacturers trying to do a podcast. So give us stars, likes, all that kind of stuff. We really appreciate it. And then, Drew, why don't you sign us off, man? If you ain't making chips, you ain't making money. You dig? Let's go. <laughs>